Welcome. Welcome to the wide world of Bookstown. The wide world. The very, very wide world. Yes. It's so wide. It's What's wide. the widest thing in the universe? A whale? A planet? Uh, it's the, the it, it, a, 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 a child's imagination? It's a planet. It's not the oh, imagination okay. of a child. I think, I think, I think it's a planet. That, at least that's as far as we can comprehend. I'll go with that. Uh, welcome, welcome. Good to uh, talk to you again, even though we've been talking for I, a few minutes. Yes, I am one of your co-hosts, Willow Payne. And I am Gene Ambon. And uh, today we're going to talk about The Orphan Master's Son by Adam Johnson, which was published back in 2012 and which won uh, the Pulitzer Prize for fiction for that year. Yes, before we dive into this book, uh, we should give a content warning. This book can be deeply disturbing. Um, it features a lot of torture, assault of the sexual and non-sexual varieties, just really dark imagery. There's there's a little too much of it to name, and I'm sure I'm forgetting some of it, but uh, not for the faint of heart, I would say. But funny in places, somehow. You know, dark comedy's a thing. Dark comedy is a thing. And... Um... Let's see. I mean, a lot of that has to do with the setting of the book, which is is mostly in North Korea. Um, but let me let me see if I can work up a first take book talk uh, of this book. Um, it's the story of a young man uh, starts out in his childhood. His name is Jun Do. He is raised as an orphan because his father is the orphan master. His mother was taken away because she was kind of too pretty to be to be uh, wed to his father. Uh, she is never seen in the book. Uh, Jundo is raised, is named after um, one of the 114 Grand Martyrs of the Revolution in North Korea and is raised with other orphans named after other martyrs uh, of the revolution and they do terrible labor. They're basically disposable people. When he's 14, he's taken away and he's trained to be um, a tunnel soldier, kind of trained to be someone who fights in no light at all in tunnels the North Koreans build to infiltrate South Korea, uh, a real thing. Um, and then after that, uh, with very little explanation, he is sent away to kidnap citizens from Japan, from the shores of Japan, uh, in, a, in a little fishing boat, also a true thing. Uh, then he is sent away to learn English for a while. He starts becoming kind of an intelligence officer, also on a fishing boat, and... Uh, from there, he is sent on a very strange trip to Texas uh, with some other <laughs> officials from North Korea. It is kind of a farce. It's a very serious farce. It's very odd. Then he comes back and tainted. He is sent to work in a prison mine, just a horrific uh, survival level existence. And from there, he somehow manages. You don't quite know how, as the second part of the book starts to unfold, he has somehow managed to impersonate a national hero, uh, Taekwondo champion, someone who married the nation's most beautiful actress. He has managed to impersonate this man and insert himself into his life and uh, has ended up in prison and is being tortured for that. And you, you don't know where the story is going or how it's going to turn out or, or what he has done. Uh, it is narrated partially by announcements that North Koreans hear over loudspeakers in their homes and their businesses. They are inescapable. It is narrated partially uh, in the third person, kind of from Jun Do's point of view. And it's also narrated by one of Jun Do's uh, interrogator slash torturers. Uh, it is a crazy book, and I absolutely loved it. Okay, now we can spoil the heck out of it, 
Are you ready to spoil yes. the heck out of it, Willow? <laughs> Absolutely. Rip. Well, I'm gonna guess. I'm, I'm gonna guess you didn't love this book, Willow. Uh, well, love is a strong word. Uh, but actually, <laughs> I, I, no, I like this book quite a bit, actually. Oh my God! What? What? Say that yeah, again. Yeah. No. Just say it again I so like I can it hear it more... one time. I like this bit, this book quite a bit. Oh my actually. gosh! Oh, my heart is warmed. Okay. I no, I was surprised to hear that you loved it. Um, only because I think when you started to read it, <laughs> you were, that was not your reaction. It wasn't because um, because it was so like like the beginning part is um like there's two parts to the book. The first part is called the biography of June Doe, and it's about 250 pages of it. I mean, it's, it's kind of less than half the book. And the parts about him being an orphan and being raised as an orphan were just torturous and joyless, right? I mean, there's a little bit of ridiculousness in the, the loudspeakers, um, like, coming on. Like, it's the defensiveness of the loudspeakers that makes me laugh. Like, the loudspeakers are celebrating, like, the first time you hear them, they are celebrating kind of uh, the winner of the recipe contest for pumpkin rind soup. It's talking about uh, how the U.S. has done all these terrible things to North Korea, uh, including accusing them of cruelty to sharks. And then it has this huge defense of the North Koreans, how they are not cruel to sharks. <laughs> and how, uh, right. how, a North, how, a, how an American woman rode around the world to defect to North Korea. And uh, it ends with, what are you going to believe, citizens, rumors and lies or your very own eyes? And then, of course, we see their very own eyes, how through their own eyes, how terrible everything is, um, which is not a surprise to us. But... It's... I, I went into this book expecting to not like it, you know, um, once I because I went into it totally blind. I didn't know what it was about. As soon as I realized, like, OK, this is a book about North Korea, because I'm not really into I, I, I don't enjoy nonfiction. I don't really enjoy history. I don't enjoy sort of all of the terrible things. You know, I'm, I'm not into like the killing fields. Growing up, we had to read all these, you know, Holocaust books mm -hmm. that uh, I, I wasn't into because they, you know, they just are, even though they are of historical importance, absolutely, they are, you know, they're not fun to read. They're not, they're not pleasant to read. Right. And, and this book wasn't exactly pleasant to read either in that sense, but it also, it didn't feel like homework, which is very important to me. I was I did actually care about Jundo and his adventure. I did want to know what happened to him. Well, when do you, and, you when, know, when do you feel like you started to root for him? Because I was trying to figure out when I started to root for him. I I think it was in the beginning of the novel. I think it's when he's in Japan. I think that I think it's the fact that he was given the option to defect from North Korea, which any sane person would do, as his buddy tries to do, and he. It, it, I, I wouldn't say I rooted for him then. Maybe I'm, I'm just now realizing for years and years I've, I've hated Breaking Bad, but I think now I'm I'm sort of understanding where people are coming from. <laughs> I was in I was so intrigued by his decision to not defect from North Korea, not to just stay in Japan and go to a South Korean embassy. I wouldn't I, w I wasn't rooting for him at that point, but I was thinking like, oh, this poor man, like like he is misguided in every way and he doesn't understand. And, you know, there's a point where he talks later in the novel, like because other characters like you could have been free. You could have done anything. He's like, I don't think I would understand what freedom is in a world where you know, there aren't loudspeakers telling me to love the dear leader every morning. Like, Well, it's, it's even weirder than that, because, I mean, this is jumping ahead a bit, but when he's in Texas and the kind of intelligence agent Wanda is talking to him, 
he he tries to explain to her that he feels more free than she could ever possibly feel because because he's being guarded all the time and because everything is forbidden right there's like this this huge passage about it how he can't even explain to her what freedom really is because right he, which i think i think after he gets back from texas he probably changes his tune on that i don't uh, know. i don't think well mm, i don't think he enjoys being in a prison mine i i think that that so the the worst moment in the uh, there's a lot of terrible things that happen in this book to our to our main guy and to all of the characters no one no one lives a good life in this book um the moment for me that was like this is the worst thing ever is Jundo is in a prison mine as a as a prisoner and this is like the second half of the book and a friend of his there who I'm not sure what her role was exactly. She had, because it seemed like she had some amount of authority, but it, it doesn't really matter. She's she's an old woman. Her name's Mong Nan, and she kind of she kind of tells him he's a prisoner, and he doesn't know. But she takes pictures of everybody when they come into the prison, and then when they die and are taken out, she takes pictures of them. Right. And so at one point, when when they are able to sneak away and the guards can't see, they go to one of these big, you know, flood lamps. Right, it's it's out, right, for some reason. The light is gone. Out. Right, and there's a bunch of, there's just a pile of dead moths beneath it that have all died touching the light, and she's just like, eat as many moths as you can. Your stomach won't know the difference. You gotta eat. Yeah, fill your hands. And, and, and so, the, and oh my god, that is the most disgusting, painful image to me. And like, they're, you know, they describe it a little bit, and it's not, it's not it's not too bad in its description, but just the mental thought of like, that's what they have to do to survive. Well, yeah. And, and like, uh, he, th- he starts it's so to, he, painful. He starts to think of everything in terms of, in terms of how much more life it will give him because there's, there's nothing there to help him survive the work that they're making him do and everything else in the camp. It's yeah. I mean, it, it, by then I definitely had sympathy because he's survival level, but he's still not a good guy right i mean he's no no he's not a good guy but that's i mean well it's it's painful how how um brainwashed he is because he's when he's in the tunnels under south korea like it some of his men have to go up and look around south korea to and come back and report and and it's clear he doesn't do that like he doesn't he doesn't even think about defecting even though he's right there right he could go up out of that out of that hole out of the tunnel and give himself up and be in a different place but he doesn't think about that like uh, uh when i was when yeah i i, I don't when i was like like and, and then in japan he could do the same thing like you were saying and then in texas he could do the same thing they even offer him the chance to defect but he doesn't do it right right it's weird yeah when i was um trying to explain this book to friends while i was reading it because it is such a bizarre winding tale that is fantastical in many parts you know it's not really a it it, it it you put it, it is a farce a lot of it well it, it's, it's clearly um, fantastical it's clearly unrealistic right i mean i think that's why it's readable yeah. but it's it, it feels right. true enough in other ways so right if it was wholly realistic it would be terrible i think um or for my sense from for my sensibilities i just wouldn't be able to to get through it is yeah it would just be a slog but um i think the 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 point of comparison i make is like this is kind of the north korean uh forest gump Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, you know, I, I, it, it, it's not quite that ridiculous, but it is. It is that ridiculous kind in, of th- in parts. Yeah. It, it it is kind of that ridiculous, though. He does end up married to. Well, he ends up impersonating the man who is married to 
like the top actress in the country right, like right. that like even forrest gump doesn't do any like the best he ever got was marrying or marry, meeting the president we yeah. should let's make a sequel to forrest gump where he marries the president that, that could be exactly uh, the tone for a movie version of this yeah i mean it's it's uh i i could see that like just just a silly kind of celebrating his triumphs like he's done all these things and then the loudspeaker comes on and kind of talks about how great everything is going and then and then of course the every scene puts the lie to the loudspeaker right like like when the loudspeaker what's weird is well there's so many weird things about this book like it's an incredibly weird book but it's it's so interesting the way things unfold it's not entire it's not meant to be believable per se but it is it, you you can swallow it. You can digest it for the purposes of the narrative. You know. Well, I, I love I love. There's like there's little details in the front that kind of come back to serve the end of the story later. I mean, it's it's clear that Johnson worked on this for so long, um, and just I mean, I, I know he did a lot of research. I know he went to North Korea uh, as a tourist as part of that research, and like I had never heard that dogs were illegal in Pyongyang, the capital of North mm-hmm. Korea. It's very, it's very, very strange little thing like that. But like, when, uh, like, like the details bring it to life. Like when Jundo is the tunnel rat, and he's in the tunnels under South Korea, and his men go up, and they come back, and they talk about um, how strange South Korea is because, like, there are, there are machines that spit out money, and there are people who pick up dog shit with their hands and put it in bags. <laughs> like it's like it's like you don't know what that means until later when you've seen dogs throughout the book, right? Like you don't know how strange that right. is, but it's kind of it's kind of a little detail. And the other thing that I love is like uh, all the orphans are named after martyrs, and the martyr that he's named after is uh, Bak Jun Do, who's a man who uh, hung himself out of loyalty to prove his loyalty. The guy killed himself, basically. <laughs> I mean, it's it, it's a crazy like ass backwards society. We already know that, right? But but you have to make it live in a way that's both human and ridiculous to make this book work and it's brilliant the way johnson does well, that to me and here you know part of the problem is that we don't know a lot about north korea right because right it's it's impossible to know anything about what's going on there um but from what we do know we, regardless of what adam johnson's writing like there is some ridiculous stuff happening there that in any other nation would seem comedic to some extent like um there was a comics journalist. I I have no idea who this person is, but I I read a comic uh, by by a journal a comics journalist who went to North Korea. This was pro- probably over a decade ago before yeah. this book was written. I think it's called Pyongyang, and it's by uh, Guy Delisle. It was published by Drawn and Quarterly. That one. Probably yeah. Uh, thank you, librarian. You're welcome. Um, th- <laughs> it probably was that, but I remember there's a part where because he's on the sort of guided tour that is like a Disney ride. And at the end of it, there is like an animatronic version of, <laughs> of Kim, of Kim Jong-il. Right. Uh-huh. The, and, and he's just like, are they for real? Do they think that because like, they're the, the people there on the door are like, there he is. There's our, there's our leader. Yeah. And he's like, what, <laughs> what such, do you mean? That's a, that's not a real man. It's, it's such a great book. And um, he was there for months. I think he was working for a French animation company with North Korean animators working on a, on a French cartoon, basically, believe it or not. Like, like the North Korean yeah. animators uh, really undercut the price of everywhere else, else in the world. Um, and, and yeah, that, that book is totally worth reading. It's great. And I, I saw him speak about that book a little bit 
uh, at uh, TCAF one year at the Toronto Comics Arts Festival. And he showed pictures of his time in North Korea. And he's like, you know, you, you think there's like no cars on the road, but this is like there's traffic. And he would like he would show the things that were like, you know, it's much more like like on, on the surface level, kind of like the West than, than you're led to believe. Um, and I think I think Johnson doesn't give us that sense much at all, right? Like Johnson, John, the, the the weird portrait Johnson paints, it's always from, it's always from the point of view of, someone either at the bottom or the very top, right? Right. And so it's not it's not really an overview of that society. It's not it's neither a defense, nor a condemnation of the way normal people live. It's not even ex, an exploration of the way normal people live in North Korea, really. Unless you count the fisherman and the fisherman's wife, kind of her desperation after her husband defects to South Korea, um, it like that's really the only kind of I don't know if I would say middle class, but the, the kind of the average. Well, something to something that complicates those is the time period, though I think, because mm-hmm. um, I'm not sure exactly what years this story is set. I would guess. Do, I would guess. Think... I would guess it's set in the late '90s. Yeah, and so I think that to some extent, I'm I, you know, uh, whatever Guy Delisle's experience was, probably wasn't at that exact time period, right? Uh, I think it was right around then, actually. I think I, I if unless I'm wrong, I think Kim Jong Il was still uh, the leader of North Korea in Delisle's book. Um, right. Yeah. That that sounds right to me. Yeah. So so, so it was kind of the same era, anyway. Um, well, okay. So yeah, a lot there's a lot to be said about the accuracy of this book maybe not being the best, and that's fair. We could we could interpret it as, you know, the a, a brand new setting, if you will, for our purposes, which I maybe that's not fair from a um I don't think it's fair because I think Johnson did a lot of research to capture to capture something about life in North Korea. And I think he did a really I mean I I I will put it out there based on the criticism and based on the the uh, praise this book has gotten that it's 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 fairly accurate in its depictions, right? But it's also limited in its depictions. Like I wouldn't want to give anybody the sense that like oh if you want to know what life is like in North Korea, for the average person you should read this book. It's you know, it, it is fantastical, but it does give you some sense of of the both the ridiculousness and the seriousness of living under that regime, right? Right. I guess where I'm coming from is that, and this is a very privileged position. I realize is that I don't, I don't really care about the accuracy of the book because I, I enjoy it so much as this just sort of haunting right. experience. I, I, I totally understand what you mean, and 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 I would agree with that. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't use examples in this book to tell anybody what I think North Korea is like necessarily. The book is itself, right. right? Yeah, it's it's kind of like uh, how Quentin Tarantino is making these movies that are technically about history, but then he just makes up his own ending where it's like, oh yeah, we just destroyed Hitler in a burning movie theater, <laughs> right, right? Right, right. It's right. like you, it's not a historical, it's not a, it's not an accurate movie. You should not watch it in history class. It is a movie that involves people who really do did exist. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I'm, I'm trying to think about that fishing boat now. Let's talk about. So, so he's a tunnel rat, and that's not really explored in detail. And then he's taken no. off. He's taken off, sent to learn English, where which is kind of a farce. He just basically records English on a manual he's, typewriter as he listens to right, it. Right. He is. Um, he's rewarded by going to language school for having successfully turned in his uh, turncoat comrade, who's try who was trying to defect in Japan. So he's he is rewarded with with language school because that sort oh. of scene is easy work, I guess. 
Well, wh- wh- why is he? Uh, why is he taken? T- why is he sent on those missions to to uh, grab people from from the Japanese beaches? What, because is, is it because he's been kind of under South Korea well, but hasn't defected yet? Is that kind of what? Well, we're I don't think. Well, they're not stealing just anyone from Japan. I believe they're there to steal a specific opera singer that Kim Jong Il wanted for one of his movies. Yeah, but in another part, like like some of the other people they take, like there's a lot of people they take that we don't see and. One of them, they go, well, the language school needs a new Japanese teacher, right? And they just try to grab somebody. Yeah, I I couldn't tell you why that was happening. Another thing to consider is, I think this is probably the longest book we've ever read for this podcast. Mm-hmm. This is a long book. Super long, yeah. The audiobook is like 20 hours, which, you know... So the part of the reason that I even agreed to do this was Gene, you just like blasted me with a list of books a while back. <laughs> and I, I didn't know anything about any of them because that never helps me. So I just uh, put a hold on all of them at my library because they were all like one month out. And so every time I one became available, I just started listening to it. And, you know, within an hour or so I would determine whether or not I was interested in any of them. Hmm. And this one I just kept listening to and it, and it was, and it worked on me. It totally worked on me. Hmm. Well, I, I, and this was on my list because I've had it sitting on my shelf since it came out. And uh, my wife read it around that time and really, really liked it. And I think she's disturbed. I was trying to talk to her about it this morning when I walked her to work and, um, she thinks it's weird that I think the book is funny because I think her memory of it is just the tragedy of the book. Right, right. Um, and and that's kind of how I was experiencing it, too, was that when I was reading the funny parts, because there are parts that are supposed to be funny, mm-hmm. the 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 radio transmissions that, you know, everyone gets, uh, like, clearly those are meant to be funny, but, it, but depending on how, the way you read this, you may not be receptive to that. It's not that you didn't understand, it's that you didn't, like, I personally didn't laugh at really any part of this book because Hmm. I was too busy. Well, you know, while they're talking about like North Korea is the kindest country to sharks. Like, yeah, that is humorous, but I'm still focused on all of the terrible things that are happening where it's. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, and I, yeah, I mean, I've, I've read enough about the bad parts, I guess, I guess I'm more familiar with that. So when those funny things came up, I was just laughing at them. Like, like, I think there was only one part that, to me, because I think a lot of that stuff, e- even that line of North Korea is kind to its sharks, like, even though I understand that that's absurd, there was a part of my brain that's like, but is it so absurd that they wouldn't say it? And and I, it, which says a lot about me, I was willing to believe that that could be a thing that they were willing to say. The part, there, there's a part very late in the novel that where I was like, okay, well, they would never say that. This is clearly ludicrous. Which is where on the on the radio broadcast yeah, yeah. they are talking they're talking about Jundo in his new life as the the imposter commander Ga, mm. and and this radio broadcaster is describing like will he or will he not be able to have sex with the actress you know oh, Sun oh, Moon it, it, and it, that... yeah 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 their their story the story of Ga and Sun Moon becomes this like love story it's being told over the loudspeakers in the second half of the book right. Right, and there's this an entire paragraph that is given to where, where this guy using propaganda speak is describing how, like Commander Ga's patriotism will wash over Sun Moon, and, and it and it's clearly it's clearly like smut description, but replacing all of the explicit words with words right. like patriotism and camaraderie, and you know, well, uh, it, what is the 
you should go listen to some of those like North Korean like like North Korean news broadcasts or North Korean announcements on YouTube. Like like the tone of them is like da 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 like like um I can understand almost none of them out of almost none of the Korean, but the tone of them is hilarious. And so every time I was I was reading those 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 um announcements in the book i was i was hearing that you know and it makes it funnier it's it's so funny to think that would be told in that rhythm and that kind of very formal announcement style it just made me laugh so hard right the um the audiobook has you know i would say three people doing uh the readings there's the guy who is sort of reading for Jundo, and then there is the guy reading for the interrogator and then there's the guy reading for as the announcer oh really okay and that guy does a great job of, you know, you can clearly tell now it is time because citizens, you know, rush to your window to get ready for the... Oh, that's great. Uh, yeah, that, that that part, you know, that guy, great job, person who read that part of the audiobook. I, I, uh, I, I, yeah, I, I, I guess it... Oh, sorry, go ahead. I, I would say that it probably does not fit the, the actual, uh, what your description of those broadcast sound like but it was very like it, it was more of a western propagandist speaking kind of voice i would say sure sure and I, I, that makes some sense right i mean I, I don't know how you would capture the the rhythm of the syllables in in korean and the way you know you know i mean i i think there's uh my wife says there's a north korean accent my wife is uh was born in south korea and uh she says there's a north korean accent that i can never quite pick up on but um it's just it's just all together. It just seems so ridiculous to me. I, I, I still I'm still trying to in my head answer the question of when I started to care about Jun Do. I, I, I think like 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 when he was kidnapping people from Japan, there's a woman who he's told to throw her down and not into the boat and not to deviate from the plan. And when he throws her down, she dies. Right. He throws her down from a pier. Yeah. A woman he's grabbed and, and she dies. And he feels bad about that in a way that that made me think, oh, he's more human than I would have thought at that point. Did that affect you? At yeah, all? there. Well, there are many times in this. I, I'll be honest that I kind of glazed over that part. Um, there are many times where he obviously is an empathetic character who like he doesn't care about himself. He I think he sees himself as as someone who if he died, no one would care, you know, that. Uh, well, and it's very true, but, right? But he does care very deeply for his friends and and all of the women in his life. Um, There's a lot of time. And even just women in the abstract, you know, when he's on this fishing boat, uh, which happens after he uh, graduates from language school, he gets on this fishing boat and he's obsessed with these radio broadcasts that he's hearing from other boats and and these women who are lost at sea. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and he's, you know, he spends all of his idle hours, you know, sort of imagining, like, how will they survive? Well, like, they, and he they, comes up with, like, a survival plan for them. And he's sort of, in his mind, trying to transmit this information to them as if they'll ever hear him. Right. They're they're rowing around the world, right? Right. And it's, it's, very, and it's the, very strange. And one of them rows naked. So the, the, the Korean men kind of discuss that all the way through. And they discuss the beauty of these women. And they discuss... Uh, they discuss like like beautiful women and it, it, that's when the second mate talks about his beautiful wife right who we see later in the book right and the, se- right. the second mate says something like um he's, he talks about the definition of love and he says something about how um like his his wife is really beautiful she's the most beautiful person in their housing block 
Um, and he knows he knows what she exactly what she's thinking, and he knows what she's going to say before she says it, and that's the definition of love. <laughs> and I was like, oh my god, that's so that's so terrible. <laughs> but it's like it's like oh that's that's a real character moment. That's like that's like some idea, and they all kind of they all kind of chat about it. Um, and th- there's an incredible moment on the fishing boat where they come into contact. They're hailed by an American military vessel, by a navy ship who boards them and and inspects them and there's a there's a south korean officer on the on the american ship who is like these guys are spies we got to take them in we got to you know right they are not in these waters legally anything they're doing here is is suspect and they have to be thoroughly investigated but all of the americans are just staring at them like oh my god these poor men (laughs) and they have all these they have these like these nike shoes they fished out of the water drying on the on the deck right they have like some shrimp that's like going bad and it's it's an insane situation. Oh, and there's been a fire too. So it just looks like a burned out Hulk, right? Right. And and the American like one of the of the officers is just like, okay, do they have a fire extinguisher? I don't think they have a fire extinguisher. Do they have a life raft? They don't have a life raft. And so like, okay, we need to give these men basic supplies just as a humanitarian thing. Right, 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 and, right. And then we'll let them be on their way because they don't want to have anything to do with us. And, and they, they never find the listening equipment that Jun Do has on the boat, right? They never they never kind of find his little secret room with the typewriter where he's <laughs> typing everything down. Right. That's oh. right. Oh, but but, but th- I, then they have to come up with a story. That's believable because yeah. the Americans actually take some things like the picture of Kim Jong-il. They take it from the boat and they're going to go back. Right. And then you find out kind of you find out the nature of North Korea where they have to come up with a story that's believable, that makes them heroes so that they can kind of survive. Like, like, like it doesn't matter if it's true. It just matters if if it's a good story that that's kind of useful, right. which is repeated the, the, over and over again. Right. Which is fascinating. And I think the worst part of the whole thing is that. They get they get a life raft, an inflatable raft from the Americans, and they're like, if we come back to port with this, we will be arrested because they'll think we, you know, right. worked with them in some regard. That that just can't be. And so they had to throw it out into the ocean, like right after they got it. Right. And they throw the extinguisher away too, I think. Yeah, it's so to me, that is that speaks to like a whole nother level of tragedy. That it's like these people have nothing. They are they are worse than peasants. They are, they are slaves to this tyrannical government and this system that is constantly out to get them. And even the the barest things that they need in order to be safe, it's like, if we have these things, then then they'll know that, that something wrong has happened that is not part of the grander plan and we will all get thrown in prison. And, it, and it's worse because the captain, the captain of that boat went to jail for like four years in Russia for like basically to save his crew from having to go to jail and when he when he was released and came back home like the government had given his wife away to someone else and he just he longs to see her again right his dream is to be reunited with his with his wife even even though he knows they're going to be strangers again later on which which kind of prefigures the situation when Jun Do um meets Sun Moon and is impersonating her husband right um, and they don't know each other. Right. Um, but 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 it's it's like it's like that captain is still just he's still existing within this 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 way of life where he's just got to come up with a story now that's not gonna that's not gonna get his men hurt. And so they make the second uh, mate a uh, hero. They say he held off the Americans with a, a knife and made them all leave. Right. <laughs> and then right. he's made into a hero. And in the midst of all that is this thing where where Jundo is hearing voices. And it's like Russian and American and like like all these people who are supposed to be their enemies. 
they're hearing them together and he thinks it's a undersea base and they go back into port and and the second mate is a hero and and then they go back onto the fishing boat and when they're on the fishing boat later uh they find out it's actually a a satellite overhead and that they're all kind of doing this for peace and brotherhood and it just it shatters the second mate's mind so much that that night in the middle of the night he he takes their um they have like a russian made life raft at that point and he takes it and he he sets off on it to defect to south korea right and that that fucks them all because now they have to have a story of why he's gone (laughs) so so they concoct some crazy story where the americans came back and threw him to the sharks because they were pissed at him for being a hero of the revolution and Jundo like jumped into the water to save him and uh they they give Jundo this like shark bite with real shark teeth they just tear his bicep apart so that it, he looks the part and they also give him this is the same trip the second trip they give him a all the fishermen have tattoos of their wives on their chests and uh it's to reassure the wives so that no one else will sleep with them because the fishermen are gone for so long and and Jundo has no wife and so they tattoo a picture of the actress Sun Moon who is Commander Ga's wife. She's the most famous actress in in North Korea on his chest. And um, so when they come back in, like the question is, are the interrogators going to believe the story that Jundo jumped into the water to save the second mate from the sharks? Or are they going to throw them all into prison? And it's very clear that the interrogators don't believe the story, but they but that they think it's useful somehow. And it's useful because there's a mission to Texas coming up where they're going to send uh, Dr. Song, who was on the boat snatching Japanese people off off the shores of Japan with Jundo before. This guy, Commander uh, Buk, who's, uh, who's the, the kind of chief procurement officer for the entire nation of North Korea. And um, like basically a Dr. Song's driver who's going to impersonate some kind of minister from North Korea and they send them all to Texas. And... and Jundo is sent to not just because he speaks English, but because he he can use this story of, of American aggression uh, to embarrass the Americans on the trip. And, and that leads right. to the next part of the book, right? Yeah, I was really worried about the, the trip to Texas I, because so that part clearly, <laughs> it, it seemed like it was going to become more farcical, which I mean, it does in many ways, but at the same time, it doesn't like the... There's a lot of sort of fish out of water stuff where it's very you know, funny. It's very funny. I, who is it that commands to see a Texan rattlesnake so they can shoot him? Is that uh, Doctor Song? I, I can't. like. <laughs> well, I, I remember like like the guy who's trying to be the minister is the, is Doctor Song's driver, right? The guy who's pretending to be the minister, and so he's just insane. He doesn't like he <laughs> and, and like like Doctor Song, who's the who's the person who's actually in charge of the mission, is not is not really. He's just kind of embarrassed, but he starts using a weed eater <laughs> to knock take down weeds, and they're all kind of horrified at the way dogs are treated in the U.S. Uh, right, b- right. Because dogs are just nothing in North Korea, but in the U.S., like they see the senator they're visiting uh, feed a dog a treat from his pocket, and uh, there's some great there's some great um, like like comment from Jun Do where where he's like he understood that like. Like in North Korea, dog you, you would tell a dog what to do, but in but in like a democracy, it, the dog could only be affected by bribes, <laughs> something like that, right? It was it was hilarious, right? But like, like 
I mean, I, my understanding was that in North Korea, the, the dog is considered vermin, like a rat. Like, it's not a friend. It's not clean. It's... I think it's food. It's just know? an unpleasant animal yeah, that yeah. you don't want around. Yeah, I mean, and that makes sense because they can't spend any resources to have dogs as pets, right? Like, a like, there's been a right, starvation mentality there. So. But, but dogs do still live in many cities as, you know, wild animals, basically, living off of garbage. I don't Because you can't just, you can't really get rid of them all. I think you could. I, I mean, I mean, in, 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 in a culture that eats eats dogs. I mean, I you know, and I'm not judging that, but but uh, in a culture that eats dogs, I don't I don't think there would be a lot of wild roaming dogs left in North Korea at this point. I just sure. Uh, I don't know. They they might not be good to eat. I don't know if they live in the if they live in the sewers and eat garbage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but but the, the the Texas trip is crazy and like after it's over oh and and Commander Book has to go off, he's got to get from Texas where they land to Los Angeles buy three hundred thousand dollars worth of DVDs and get back in twenty four hours <laughs> so they can right so when they go back on the plane the plane is just loaded with DVDs and motorcycles and stuff and um, I I did like I did like the ongoing joke where they're like hey Jindo you want a movie you you should get a movie it, it it'll you'll you'll thank me later. And he's like, I don't know any movies. I haven't even he hasn't even seen any of the North Korean propaganda movies. Right. He's never seen a movie uh, at and all. So he's like, what movie should I get? And uh, Commander or uh, Comrade Bjork is like, uh, you should get Casablanca. It's, I hear it's the best movie. And he's like, have you have you seen it? He goes, no, I don't watch black and white movies. No one has seen <laughs> Casablanca, but they all have heard of it, which I thought was really interesting. What was the? Um, there was a part of the. Oh, Titanic is the only movie from the West any of these people have seen. Everyone knows Titanic as a point of reference, which okay. I think is amazing. Koreans love I Titanic. I love that Koreans idea. Koreans love Titanic so much. The, 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 that sets it in time, too. That's the that's the uh, mid to late 90s, like after right. Titanic came I, out, right? I love that idea because, yeah, Titanic was this huge movie. It's like it was the highest grossing movie in the world. Of course, everyone saw it. And so that was the movie that affected internationally on this huge scale of like, well, even in a even in a country that won't allow movies from the outside world, everyone has seen Titanic. Right. That's the movie. Yeah, absolutely. And, and later absolutely. later on, one of the interrogators, uh, like he has a nickname for one of his of his work colleagues that he calls him Leonardo because he looks kind of like Leonardo DiCaprio. Perfect. Perfect. I mean like like pitch perfect. I had never thought that would be a surprise to you because I guess that that's part of my background noise for the 90s was seeing Titanic everywhere in South Korea. Just like watches, handbags, shirts, like any any kind of product you could make, notebooks, like it was insane. Well, yeah, and I I mean that's a total difference between you is that I have no relationship to korea or any east asia like i've never left the united states <laughs> i don't travel my international knowledge is nil <laughs> um so but but you who have you know can speak korean and have been to south korea would obviously have a much more you know to go by in this book and this would be more meaningful to you which i think is well i, I, is, I i'm curious to hear what you have to say no i know I, I didn't i didn't feel like that though i mean like like a little bit like the the disdain for dogs like some of the there's very few cultural details that that uh, I identified with, except for some of the clothes and stuff. Like some of the words they would use, I would I would know what that meant, maybe more than you did. You know what I mean? But they were explaining. Sure. They're they also explaining <laughs> context a lot. So 
Yeah, I had to look up Chosenote because they keep saying it over and over and over. They talk about this robe more mm. than anything. Yeah, and in, and in South Korea, they don't call that Chosenote. They call it like Hanbok. So I don't know. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it, it's 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 a little strange. But like the, the, the Korean, I'm trying to think of what came out of the, the, sorry, the Korean, the Texas trip. Like, so he meets Wanda. Wanda's kind of an intelligence operative. And Wanda gives him a camera that when he takes a photo, sends the photo to her phone, wherever she is in the world, from wherever he is in the world, right? Right. Um, and and they also give him a dog to give to somebody in North Korea. And he ends up, like, he ends up kind of sending it through Commander Book to Sun Moon, this dog. Well, so, right, th- this is where everything sort of, uh, things get really crazy. So... And and I and I enjoy how weird this is because so Jendo is just this guy who gets on this Texas trip and he's sort of here to, as a representative of a of a North Korean hero, mm-hmm. right? The, well, no, no, he's not. He, no, what, no, he's not a represent. What, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's a hero because of what happened supposedly with a shark bite, right? And he's has, he, he has right, to tell the story. He's here for propaganda purposes, but the, he's just his job title is just supposed to be hero, really, right. w- to the Texan senator, but. He has this tattoo of Sun Moon, this famous actress on his chest. Right. And at one point, he uh, the, he takes his shirt off because all of the women want to examine his wound and treat him medically. The the senator's wife, you know, has uh, medical training, right. and like this wound is clearly infected and it's all wrong. And she's got to give it stitches, and so she's treating it. And they see this tattoo, and they're like, "Who's this woman?" And he lies and says, this is my wife, because he knows that's the, right, the custom. Right, and, right, right. And he's describing what little he knows about Sun Moon. And, he's, and he calls her by name because he's like, these Americans don't know who this is. They don't care. Right. They just they just want information. And so he's lying that he is married to this famous actress. Well, that she's his wife. At, right. And, and then at this point. Yeah, at this point, uh, we don't really know who Commander Ga is in this story. That's that's a name that we're not really familiar with. We know that he is a famous person who is married to Sun Moon. Well, and he's but, he, so we, he, we also know that he's rid the army of homosexuals. Right, this is true. He's a Taekwondo and master, he, and that he holds the uh, the golden belt that's that right. he beat Kimura in Japan. Um, <laughs> yep. So <laughs> Taekwondo. Um, so he's just rambling with what little he knows about Sun Moon because they're asking about his wife mm-hmm. and he's just trying to sort of be social. And and so he's sort of forming this this half-cocked story and he's like, I'm not a very good husbander. I wish I was better. And they're like, no, honey, you're, you're, you seem like a kind, caring man. But then uh, Wanda goes and runs some information. It's like, oh, this isn't Jundo Pak. This is commander god right that's who is married to sun moon this is all uh a, a ruse and and so she tells the the senator and he takes huge offense to this is like oh i was trying to please this minister but it was actually the minister of prison minds this whole time who was who was the real visiting dignitary right and I was, this this is all a north korean you know lie which like it kind of is but not in the way that they think it is so neither side really understands what the other one is doing and dr song and commander bach they they don't know what's going on they weren't there for this conversation this is all news to them that like what do you mean this is commander god but they're not gonna blow his cover right because they need to sort of put on a strong face for the american and and then and then like like uh there's also something going on 
for the mission that we don't really understand, but they're trying to get back some device that North Korea stole from Japan. And it's like a it's like a background radiation detector. And because the senator won't give it up, it's actually supposed to detect cosmic rays. But the North Koreans want to use it to detect uranium. And and, um, because they don't have it back, have it to bring back like their mission is is a failure. And so on the on the flight back home, they're kind of trying to figure out what story to tell because it doesn't matter what actually happened. They're trying to figure out the story to tell. And and Dr. Song initially is like, our mission was a complete success. Everything happened that we needed to happen. This is what we have. And then he panics as they're landing and goes, forget it. They humiliated us. They had no intention of, of helping us, you know, like uh, they made us do groundskeeping. They humiliated us. They made us wear dress like peasants. They made us share, do- share beds with dogs. Like we have to tell them it was it was all just a farce. And when they land, like uh, Jundo is taken off by himself and interrogated. And it's clear that it doesn't matter what story he tells. Right. He's he's fucked. And. They take him off in one of these crows, this kind of like, uh, they call the crows, they call them crows, but they're like Soviet military transport vehicles. And they take him, these two guys like transporting blood, like kind of pulling blood for transfusions out of uh, prisoners who are dying. They take him to a prison mine and that's where he meets Mong Nan, who takes pictures of the people who are dying and takes pictures, takes a picture of him as a new inmate and then slams shut. And that's the last we ever hear of Jun Do. And then the next, then it starts part two, the confessions of Commander Ga, right? And we don't, right. we don't know what has happened, which is, which is nice because it comes up, it comes up with that announcement voice at first talking about like what happened to Sun Moon, what happened to her kids. Like, like, like there's, there's two narrators now. Well, there's three narrators now. There's the, the announcer, there's the interrogator who we don't know very much about, except for he's taking care of his aging parents in Pyongyang. And he's also not the kind of what would I say the kind of thug. I don't think he's not a thuggish torturer like like the poop uh, Yeah, right. He considers himself to be very methodical and scientific, and he considers that the the torturers who are inflicting pain and do, they, they, he considers them to not be doing it correct, and that in the future everyone will be doing it the way that he is doing it now. Right. He's like a science based like university graduated interrogator, and the other guys are like these old men who break their hands repeatedly because when the bones grow back, they're stronger. And harder. Right. Now, we never learn this guy's name, do we? This investigator. No. Uh-uh. Which is crazy to me, because we do spend a lot of time with him. I was worried when this part of the book started that we shifted perspective and and it, suddenly we weren't hearing about Jundo anymore. I was I was really worried as, like, oh, uh-huh. I, that I wasn't going to like this book anymore That because I, I don't really like it when they play with, you know, I, <laughs> I guess... Um, what's the what's the term like pulp fiction you know where we're playing fast and loose with the how the time is working and yeah like everything's out of chronological order at this point right i mean like, like right, or, or, right. It, it's not quite but it's like suddenly we flashed forward we, we flashed forward to I, I guess it is out of time because we flashed forward to the story of commander god and sun moon being told as this like love story over the announcements we flashed forward to the point where the person who impersonated Commander Ga is now in custody and is being tortured, and they're going to find out the truth. They think he killed Sun Moon. Uh, we don't know if that's true or not. They think we think he killed Sun Moon and her kids, and then we get uh, Commander Ga's perspective, aka Jun Do, and mm-hmm. it starts way ahead, where he has escaped the prison somehow. He is. Command, he is acting like he's Commander Ga, and we don't know how he's pulled this off. And gradually through the course of this narration, 
he actually he actually we find out the truth about what happened when he tells Sun Moon, although he's he's uh, hinted at it a bit before that. And then we also find out the truth about Sun Moon's life as the as the head actress, like kind of the most popular actress in North Korea, um, both in the present and in the past, how she was discovered. It's it, it's it's crazy. It's brutal. Uh, it's kind of fun to to watch unfold because it's so absurd. And um, it's heartbreaking at the same time, which is it, it's an amazing thing to pull off with a piece of writing. Like I, I was feeling deeply for these people, even as I was kind of kind of not quite laughing aloud because it's not it's not that funny anymore from this point on like the announcements aren't that funny anymore you start to take them very seriously for what they mean and uh you start to realize like the impact of all this absurdity on everybody and you even see like 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 at one point like when he goes to meet when god goes to meet sun moon when he leaves the prison like commander Ga's driver doesn't recognize him even though he's wearing Ga's uniform and um like he says, he, he kind of says he killed Commander Ga in the prison mines, right? But we don't know why or how that happened. And and he kind of forces Ga's driver to take him home, quote unquote home, to Sun Moon's house. And when she opens the door, she thinks it's a joke being played on her from a casting director who's sent like the worst actor in North Korea to pretend to be her yeah. husband, right? And, and he just takes over her, the life. It's very strange. Right. I, I do... I don't love the way that the book is organized. This is sort of my biggest criticism of this book is that I wish that it wasn't... Because I feel like this idea of, like, Commander Cog killed Sun and Sun Moon that uh, and, and killed the children. We have to figure out... And it's like we as the audience figure out fairly quickly... I don't know why I say audience, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> we, we understand fairly quickly... That no, he didn't kill Sun Moon or the children. Well, I, I, he helped, I, I think we, he helped think, them escape. I think if we believe that he had killed them, we would we would not sympathize with him at all. But we, yeah, I think you're right. We totally don't believe it, right? And and so they spend so much time, like the last thing we find out in the book is sort of how the escape plan went, which I don't think is that I don't think it's that interesting that we had to make it the the ending moment. I think it I think um, it works I think it works really well actually like like in the book I think um, I think it works to increase the tension because you don't actually know what happened. You, you kind of start to realize that maybe he didn't kill them, but maybe they died anyway. I, I, I think that I think that at first you realize he's a good guy. He goes there. He says like he says I'm the good husband. I'm the one who's going to make everything up to you to Sun Moon. And then he kind of proves that that's true, right? He's nice to the kids. He's nice to her. He tries to make everything okay. And then like uh, Kim Jong Il, the leader of North Korea, invites him to the bunker where he lives, where he has imprisoned one of the rowers, right? Who they say has defected to North Korea. They they say she rowed across right. the world to defect to North Korea. He's imprisoned her and he's making her transcribe his, uh, I don't know, like English versions of the selected works of Kim Jong-il. Like he's making her transcribe those in a cell. It's very miserable. It's terrible. But you also right. see you also see why Kim Jong-il will let him continue to pretend like he's Commander Ga. And it's it's for a couple of reasons. It's because Commander Ga insulted Kim Jong-il and he hasn't known what to do about it. And this new Commander Ga is willing to apologize to Kim Jong-il. So it's no problem. But they also need him to help humiliate the Americans because he is the only person, Bak Joon-do, and Kim Jong-il makes it very clear he knows that this guy is Bak Joon-do. He's the only person in North Korea who's actually been to the U.S., and they're going to make kind of a Potemkin village 
of Texas in North Korea. They're going to humiliate the Americans. They're going to make them, what are they going to do? It's so funny. They're going to make them like shoot eels and shoot snakes. And they're going to like, they have this like insane cattle brand that's like three feet long. It says property of the People's Democratic People's Republic of Korea. They're going to like, and Kim Jong-il gives him like a, uh, they want to outdo the Americans and everything. So he gives them a 46 caliber gun that they've handmade, right? And like, he's like, He's like, here, we're going to make bullets. We haven't been able to make bullets yet for it, but it's a 46 caliber gun. The Americans are going to feel inferior, right? It's so silly. It's so silly, but it's so deadly serious at the same time. Same time. Um, right, right. Like, like it, it's it's just weird. And even Commander Book, who lives next door to where Commander Ga lives, like when this fake uh, Mustang car is delivered, and it's like a handmade, handmade Mustang on like a Lada frame. Lada is like this terrible Soviet like Eastern Bloc car, um, it, it, the, the cars are kind of, kind of, uh, like they're known for being super low quality. And, um, and so they've created a Mustang on this. And when Commander Book sees that, he's like, oh my God, something's happening here that like has never happened before. There's not even a word for what you're doing. Like, I don't know how you've pulled this off. And they just keep going forward, trying to make that, that village. And I think that's the new Commander Ga's, uh, his value, right? At that point, the reason he's allowed to continue to exist is because they need him to create this humiliation for the Americans, which of course doesn't go off well, right? When, when it finally, when it finally comes around, and in him taking over Commander Ga's life, we find out a lot about Commander Ga that he's like, that he basically like not just humiliates people, but but rapes them, right? Men who, to prove they're like homosexuals. Is that is that too too much of an exaggeration? He, yeah. Well, the, yeah. This is one of the touchier parts of the book. Is that so? The real Commander Ga is I, which I, I feel weird talking about this on the podcast but it is part of the book but like yeah he's he's a sexual predator in that he's obsessed with um finding men who will resist his advances like he he wants he wants them to fight back because and then in his mind then it, it it sort of alleviates the the homosexual like he doesn't he basically doesn't want to have sex with a with a man that he considers to be like willing to to have sex with him right. because that that man is gay um the, the, and he implies that he is also a victim of of the same rape which yeah it's a fucked up it's really fucked up it, it it very much is and it doesn't happen quite on the page but it happens enough on the page that it's super affecting when you read about that and and find out about well it. it's obvious it's obvious what's happening like it's right, not it's right, at right, no right. point are you like what could this be unless you're you know very young no a, yeah absolutely but but i think yeah, I mean, it, it it was incredibly like upsetting, and he takes pictures of people, right, in their humiliation, and and like I think it's we're talking to Commander Book when we kind of realize what that what's been going on, and Command, right. Commander Book is trying to say like he didn't humiliate me that way, um, and then and then there's the incredible sadness of Commander Book who like has a case of canned peaches that um, from a factory that was closed because uh, botulism poisoning had. Um, invaded the cans although that's not clear right away and commander book keeps this can of peaches for his daughters to eat basically because he doesn't ever want he's been procuring for the prisons for so long that he knows the prisons are just hell on earth and he would rather see his family die than right right than see them go there and but but the way that unfolds in terms of the story is so it's so it's such beautiful writing it's so well structured 
Um, yeah, the the can of peaches is a real Chekhov's gun, and it's very sad <laughs> when it finally uh, gets open. And he gives Ga a can of peaches for his family too. For 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 Ga, I mean, he gives the replacement Ga a can of peaches for his family. Yeah, yeah. And then Ga Ga kind of works out this crazy plan to help Sun Moon and the kids escape. Right. And, and I don't think we I don't think we need to describe the entire events of the book. At, at this point, yeah. I think people are know whether or not they're interested in this book. Well, but, but the tension becomes whether or not Sun Moon is going to love him the way he clearly loves her. And and the tension becomes kind of you know, is the craziness of Kim Jong Il going to interfere with the escape plans? And I, I I think I think it's I think there's a lot of tension toward the end of that story that I, that 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 made me think that the struct the way the story is structured was was really really good like like just a flawless book to me yeah i wouldn't say flawless um but i did enjoy it i don't know if i would recommend it to people it, it kind of depends oh really on on a lot of, well it's because it's such a weird I don't. I don't know who in my life I would recommend this to. Like, hmm. it, it, it strange, sounds strange to say. I would probably recommend this to my mother because <laughs> she she is not uh, averse to that this the, this unsettling material in in her literature, you know. And hmm. it's it's a very long book that I think she would probably find entertaining. But like, I don't think anyone else in my life would want to read this book. I've I've recommended this book to everyone I've talked to about books since I finished it. And I think I'll continue to do that. I think I just think it's one of those books that if you like if you like good mainstream fiction, like this is something you should totally read. I well, I think that is a major difference between us and the and the nature of recommendation that hmm. I I because you can like good mainstream fiction and and this still is pro- like cuz if you what are we calling good mainstream fiction? That I don't know. that is a that is an empty definition right there. Well, if somebody, well, I, I will say that that's probably one of the only mainstream fiction works I've read <laughs> lately. So I have to, I have to recommend it pretty, pretty hard. So, I well, that's another thing. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what mainstream is anymore. Like, unless you're just on the New York Times bestseller list. Well, it's not. It's um, it's not like like the, uh, the the werewolf fucking book we read before is not a piece of mainstream fiction. You know what I mean? Like, sure, I'm right. I'm not calling that mainstream by any means, but at the same time, it's kind of like when rock music uh, stopped being rock music, and everyone was like, "I'm into indie rock," but <laughs> indie rock became the mainstream, which isn't what indie means, right? Mm-hmm. It, it, so yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Either. I don't know what what di- genre means anymore, right? No, yeah. There, I can't. What is what defines a book that is popular other than a lot of people read it? Right, right, right. Well, I I think I think I would I think I would recommend this based on just the structure of the story itself. I I, I think I'm probably terrible at giving trigger warnings ahead of time, so I'm I'm kind of listening to you on that. Oh, this is that's an interesting thing. Maybe I should mention when recommending this book. Um, I think people would be fascinated by it just because it takes place in a totalitarian state. And it's kind of it's kind of both serious and ridiculous in terms of what it shows about that totalitarian state, um, and and I think it's also uh, a look inside North Korea, even if it's not a particularly real look inside North Korea. Uh, I think I think there's value in that. So I, I think I think it'd be of interest to a lot of people I know who read like fiction and nonfiction. Although I'd have to I'd have to really stress that it's not nonfiction. In many ways, I I think of it as being like a fairy tale, right? Hmm. 
it even even though it is about you know a real terrible nation in our real world and and not all of it is real but enough of it is probably <laughs> but it's this you know it's kind of this weird rags to riches story that is then filled with heartbreak and mm-hmm. and, and sacrifice and it's it's a it's a dark fairy tale you know because no no one could have the life that jundo has it's impossible yeah yeah but but it is there's something beautiful about this idea that this guy came from nothing and and you know built himself up this way and he doesn't even he doesn't know his own self-worth and he doesn't you know like like is is he the hero can he save the princess is she a princess anyway right right? i mean right and he but he but he has this great adventure in spite of everything about both himself and the world that he lives Mm in uh yeah it's i i can't I don't know what else to call it, like other than a fairy tale. I think, tale that's, I think that's. I think that's worth saying. Yeah, I think it's good. I think it's a great place to to stop talking about it too. But and uh, I think, I, yeah, and I think that's why I like it so much because I think if it wasn't a, f- a fairy tale, it would just be a really sad, yeah. ugly book that I would throw away. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, if there was no hope at the end of it, I think I think it would be entirely miserable. But it it pulls it off. It it, it pulls it off in a great in a great way that had me really deeply caring about what happened at the end of the book and um, just being wowed by both the writing and the structure. So, Yeah, if uh, if the listeners at home have any other sad, meandering <laughs> books about North Korea that they would like us to read, feel free to send that recommendation to bookstabberpodcast at gmail.com. Boy, do I not want to read another book about North Korea for a while. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't either. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so uh, what are we reading next time? Uh, we're reading a bunch of Moon Knight comics, apparently. Yes. That, uh, the names of which I don't have in front of me, no, but I'm sure you do. So, no, no, I don't. But we're reading, reading several recent Moon Knight uh, graphic novels. So, uh, or collections that have been, collections of monthly comics that have been turned into graphic novels. Uh, by the likes of uh, Jeff Lemire and Cullen Bunn and Brian Wood. It'll be good. It'll be fun. Yeah, hopefully. Uh, my I've spent this past week just playing Elden Ring for, for <laughs> listeners at home, uh, which just came out last Friday. I, was, so I heard it's good. I Is it good? Is it as good as they say? Oh, oh my God, it's incredible. What are you playing it's it on? It's so good. Uh, I bought a PlayStation Four just to just to play this game. Oh no! I, I don't care about it. No, it's worth it, honestly. <laughs> All right, well let's let's turn off the recording. We'll talk about that for a while. Okay. All right. Have a good day, uh, everyone. Keep stabbing, folks. <laughs>